Hello, we are so excited you're here for the first episode of Couple of Criminals, a new true crime podcast. My name is Mariah. And my name is Anton, and we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. Each week, we will bring you a new case, and Anton and I will trade off who reviews the crime. Our first 50 episodes will be based around a crime in each state in the United States in alphabetical order. Before we jump into the first case, Anton is going to give us his best joke to lighten the mood before we dig right into the nitty-gritty. So, Mariah, I have a pretty good joke here for you. Okay. What do dentists call their x-rays? I have no idea. Toothpicks. Oh my gosh. Okay. Perfect. Well, today's case is about the murder of Dr. Jack Wilson in Huntsville, Alabama. This murder took place in May of 1992. An interesting thing to note about this case is that the person who was actually convicted of the crime was not only a twin, but also had zero DNA left at the scene. Let's dive right in. Betty Wilson returned to her suburban home in Huntsville at around 9.30 p.m. from her usual Alcohol Anonymous meeting, which, if you don't know, is usually known as AA. She had a few things to do before heading to bed because her and Jack were getting ready to go on a second honeymoon of sorts to Santa Fe the following day. Jack had booked this trip in an attempt to reignite a love between them that he was afraid was surely dwindling. That night, Betty walked up the stairs heading for her room, which for your knowledge is separate from her husband's because they slept in separate beds, but I will get into more of those details later on. As she is walking upstairs in their home, that is when she makes the horrid discovery of her husband, Jack Wilson, lying in a pool of his own blood in between the doorway of one of the rooms. Betty ran to her neighbor's home and used their phone to call 911. During the 911 call, she is verbally shaken and states her husband is lying in their home upstairs in the hallway, beaten and stabbed. It is mentioned that she is very convincing on this 911 call if she supposedly had nothing or possibly something to do with the crime. At the scene, a metal baseball bat was lying next to Dr. Wilson's body. Although he had a handful of stab wounds, there was no knife found at the scene. As they are walking around the room and investigating the scene further, they see that the telephone line in the room had been cut. The investigators found a green ski mask on the bed. Further into, into the room, there was an open pistol box with ammunition, but the gun was nowhere to be found. If this was a robbery, then the perpetrator only came for the gun because Wilson's wallet was lying right next to his shoes, but nothing was taken from his wallet, and there was no sign that any other things were taken throughout the rest of the house. The medical examiner later confirmed that Dr. Wilson had a series of lacerations on his head and a fractured skull, a fractured right shoulder, fractured arms, which showed to be defensive wounds, and a fractured hiatus bones, which usually is the result of strangulation. He had two stab wounds to the abdomen. Death was rolled blunt force trauma to the head. On the bat laying next to him, there was blood on it that was the same blood type as Wilson, but there were no fingerprints and not enough blood or body matter to prove to be the murder weapon. The scene was clean of any viable prints, which left investigators questioning who could have done this. I want to give you some background on the Wilson so you have a better idea of who they are both as a couple as well as individuals. Dr. Wilson was an ophthalmologist. I kept confusing ophthalmologist with optometrist, so let me explain the difference. 
So Dr. Wilson was known as an ophthalmologist, which means he performs medical and surgical treatment for the eyes, whereas an optometrist is someone who diagnoses and treats the eyes. Dr. Wilson was very well known and well loved in the community. Members of the community and friends would say he would give care for free or at a significantly lower price to those who could not make ends meet or were in need of urgent care but did not have the funds at the time. Jack and Betty Wilson were married for 14 years and had both been married previously and had children from their previous marriages as well. Betty Wilson states that they were happy and satisfied with each other. To me, satisfied is a very interesting word to describe marriage, which should be more than just satisfying. But who am I to say anything since you and I have only been married for six years? (laughs) Yeah. Betty had a sister, her twin named Peggy. These fraternal twins both married shortly after high school, had children, and then both got divorced within a few years. Both girls were very popular in high school and well-liked. The sisters then went on to get married a second time, and both had a better go-around with their marriages. At least we thought. Peggy is an elementary school teacher and had her second marriage and her second marriage is with a Baptist deacon. And when they got married, her new husband adopted her children from her previous marriage, and then they had another child together. Betty met a doctor, Jack Wilson, at the Huntsville Humana Hospital, where Betty worked as a nurse. After they got married, Jack and Betty quickly grew up the social ladder in the area, and Betty enveloped this upscale and stay-at-home life because of this new spouse who was wealthy and promising. Betty had a known drinking problem, and Jack had suggested she attend a local Alcohol Anonymous group. She went multiple times a week for years, and this proved to be more rewarding for her than Tinder or a local bar. She would bring men home or meet men at hotels while Dr. Wilson worked long hours at the office. Although Wilson was aware of the affairs, he knew their bedroom life suffered because of his Crohn's disease, which made him limited with what he was able to do, as well as he had to have a colostomy bag because of the disease. Do you know what a colostomy bag is? No, no, I don't. If Crohn's disease is bad enough, a colostomy bag is pretty much like a bag that is hooked to you in order to process like your bowel movements, I believe. Uh, okay. This situation and this bag, you would say, was known to be a huge no-no or red flag for Betty in the bedroom. Jack wanted to make this marriage work and wanted to reignite a spark that they once had, and that is why he scheduled this trip. Just the two of them going to Santa Fe. They would leave on this trip the morning on the day after he was found murdered in his own home. That's so sad. I know. The news of this murder spread like a wildfire across this town. Dr. Wilson was very well known and well loved, like I mentioned. They could not believe that a prominent doctor in the area had been murdered in his own home, supposedly stumbling upon a burglar upstairs. There were rumors and speculations already brewing. I know from living in a small town, you know everyone and you know everyone's business. And so that's kind of what I picture with this situation when they say, you know, rumors and everything are already spreading. It's a small town. It's a famous doctor. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to know about it for sure. They're all going to have their own kind of concerns about who did it. And theories. Yeah. Homicide detectives received a tip shortly after the murder saying that coincidentally... This person had spoken with a man named James White, who was claiming a crazy story that he was being hired to murder a local Huntsville doctor. Obviously, at the time, no one believed this. But now that Dr. Wilson had been murdered, it didn't seem coincidental anymore. 
Police didn't credit this tip with much because White was known to be an alcoholic and tell tall tales. But the police end up arresting him when they get the word he is claiming Peggy, the twin sister to Betty, helped hire him. It is said that each year there are many people who look to murder to hire their intimate partner, and they would rather hire a small-town gardener or landscaper than a ranked killer to do the job. White was interrogated for hours, and it concluded with him confirming the details that Peggy, a first-grade teacher at the school his daughter went to, and a school he would do carpentry work for on occasion, had hired him to kill Dr. Jack Wilson at the request of his sister Betty. James had done some carpentry work for Peggy and a friendship and trust had formed between the two of them. He claims that they talked on the phone frequently and that Peggy had once said she loved him and that they had sexual relations once before. By doing this, she was able to hook, line, and catch White. Peggy had told him that she had a friend who was in a terrible marriage and obviously you and I in foresight know who this friend is. And that this friend supposedly wanted to get out of it and ultimately get rid of her husband. White agreed to this murder to hire after a little while and said he could arrange for it to be done. They agreed on the amount of $5,000 that he would be paid. James says that he received the first half up, up front in April and used it to pay off some bills and then added it to his checking account. James struggled financially and so this allowed him to get on his feet only a little bit though. The depositing of money will help his testimony too because, as you know, money being deposited into your account can be traced. Peggy had said that Betty would pay the other half after the murder, which needed to be done before the trip to Santa Fe, which was acting as a second honeymoon for the two of them. And not only did Jack schedule this, but Betty did not want to go. And so this was the ultimate motivation. Wow. That's insane. The pressure started to be put on White from Peggy and Peg Betty and Peggy as the trip to Santa Fe was approaching quickly. White said he would do it but needed more money to get into town. Peggy had told him that Betty would be at an AA meeting on May 16th at Lake Gunnersville State Park and that there would be a book in her car that had the money in it and he could just take the book. When he arrives at the building at the AA meeting is taking place, the gate is locked and there is a guard at the front who tells him he has to call in in order to be cleared. So he calls the station and retrieves the book. He retrieved the book because one of the guards was able to retrieve it from Betty's unlocked car and exchange it with him through the gate. White leaves with the money and book intact and drives past the Wilson home just to scope it out and then heads back to his trailer in Vincent. So he didn't even stay in Huntsville. He got the money to get him a little ways and then he went back home. Interesting. Betty calls him two days after this money and book exchange had happened and asks what is going on and why it hadn't been done yet. It comes to the surface that White did not have a loaded gun. So on May 20th, supposedly, Betty and Peggy meet up with White and exchange a gun that is registered to Betty. He now had everything he needed to complete the murder for hire. White received a call from Betty on May 21st and was told that that was the day. He went to the office to do it, Dr. Wilson's office, but there were too many people there and he was scared. He ends up spending the night so he can do it the next day and Betty meets up with him at a local Chick-fil-A and gives him $100 for food and a hotel that night, which it shows on record that he ended up staying at a Ramada Inn in town. He checks in and goes to the Wilson home to check out the layout again. And of course, he did what anyone else would do when they're staking out a murder to hire. He jogged by the home in jeans <laughs> in order to not be suspicious when eyeballing the home. You wouldn't be suspicious of someone running by your house in jeans? No. 
So obviously this is not suspicious at all. I mean, who does not run in jeans? During this denim stroll that he was taking, he saw a neighbor doing yard work across the street. The following day, Betty meets White at the local mall and they head to the home so his car or him being there doesn't cause any suspicion in the area. Betty drops him off and tells him where the bedroom is and he waits until the doctor arrives home. At 5 o'clock, Jack Wilson arrives home and is seen using a bat in his front yard in order to knock in a new politician's marketing sign. He is seen to be happy, no distress, um, and seems like all is well. The doctor ends up going upstairs, and this is when the two collide. White runs into the doctor upstairs, and a struggle ensues. He grabs an item, and this is when the attack happens. White claims to have blacked out during this whole attack and then ended up being picked up by Betty after it was done and dropped off at his car at the mall. Wilson was supposed to pick up the second half of the $5,000 in uh, Peggy's garage the following day, but when he went to get the money, there was no money there. So this is White's story. This is the information that we have uh, the detailing of the events and the timeline from White's perspective. He signed and wrote his confession in order to get a good deal and really nail the twins for the crime. The problem was that White kept going back and forth on his testimony with the press, but on his day in court, he stuck to this original story that I just went over. But on other times, he would tell the press he had never seen the twins before and that he was not hired to murder Dr. Wilson. And honestly, because of this recant that he keeps going back and forth on, it can be very troubling for the credibility and conviction of Betty as well as Peggy. Oh, yeah, definitely. You could definitely tell why that would be a problem. Yeah. When the crime scene investigators looked over White's trailer and the surrounding areas, a lot of his original story actually matched. It is said that they found shoes that had blood that matched Wilson's type at his home. They found the book that was checked out to Betty Wilson, and they also found a revolver that was registered to Betty Wilson. It all seemed to be adding up. There was a differential between sources. Some said that it was in his trailer. Other people said that there was like an empty trailer close to his trailer. And that is where they found the items. But ultimately, it is claimed that these two items that were registered to Betty Wilson were found near White on the opposite side of town. So like, what are the odds? Yeah. With all of this, Betty and Peggy were both arrested and sent to separate trials for the crimes and allegations against them. It was known that Betty and Jack had separate beds, separate lives, that she had numerous affairs, and ultimately it was a very, very unconventional marriage. In addition, Betty would stand to inherit over $6 million with his death. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, in addition to getting rid of a colostomy bag, you're also inheriting $6 million. Yeah. With the testimonies of neighbors, witnesses, employees of Dr. Wilson, previous AA lovers, and the story from James White, it took the jury two days of deliberation and Betty was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I just want to mention that up to this point, even today, Betty has claimed her innocence. She has never admitted to being guilty. And so this only two days of deliberation for such a huge crime with no like DNA, it is a very big, it's a big deal. Next comes the court hearing for Peggy, her twin sister. The... The idea behind this was for her defense to be able to take a different prospect to it. They showed that she was a great citizen of the town. She was active in her church. She was a great teacher. There was just no way that she could be involved with this. So after two hours of deliberation by the jury, she was acquitted of all charges and was released. 
That's insane. They attacked White's story heavily and found gaps in it. And they also brought up how Peggy and her husband, like I said, were active in the local church and they were absolutely good Samaritans. Peggy's attorney also poked holes additionally at White claiming that the murder had to have been done elsewhere because there were no blood splatters on the wall and that it is possible that the blood on the bat was actually planted there and was not used as the murder weapon. For James White's sentencing, he was actually convicted and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 2020. When I tried to look up his 2020 parole hearing, I wasn't able to find anything, unfortunately. But obviously, if you listeners know anything, please reach out to us. We're, we're always happy to, to talk about this stuff in the comments as well on our socials. Ultimately, with all of these sentencings and the acquittal of Peggy, The question that everyone has is how could one sister be charged and then the other one not at all when they had the same charges brought against them? Yeah, no, definitely that's the question on everyone's mind. Yeah, because this case relies heavily on the testimony of James White, they had to go back and confirm things such as the bank deposits he claims he made, which were confirmed to have happened with cash and in the amounts he supposedly claimed. Sources say that they went to the Chick-fil-A that they had gone to and confirmed that they were there. They went to the Ramada Inn and confirmed he paid in cash that day and did buy stuff from a local Kmart with a $100 bill that he had claimed to have received. They also confirmed with a gate security card about the handing off of the book. There are a few other things that they confirmed, and one of them being that she had talked about wanting to be a respectable widow and not a divorcee. This conversation had supposedly happened at the office and she had spoken with a friend from AA about also wanting to kill her husband. However, many people claim that she was railroaded into this conviction. And years later, James White, like I had mentioned, has recanted and redone his statement and testimony. So what really happened? Did Betty really hire a man to kill her husband? I mean, it's pointed at that though. Yeah. I want to go over some of the theories that I read into and kind of some of my thoughts. So some of the various theories I saw included that he wasn't attacked with a bat because there wasn't enough body matter and blood on it to have been the weapon that caused such severe damage on him. So they believe that that was planted as well as the blood on the bat was planted. The medical examiner said the wounds did not reflect that of like a flat bat and rather reflected that of something like a fire poker, like something you see in a fireplace where you like prompt the fire or or spice, uh, spike up the fire. Others say that it had to have been two or more people who did it. And there is no way that the attack was done in the hall because there was no spatter marks on the wall anywhere. And under his body, there were like circular blood mark patterns indicating that he had been spun around and potentially placed there. And if that's the case, that's why they say it was two or more people because they would have had to have carried him upstairs in like a garbage bag or a tarp or something and then placed him there. If you are interested in seeing some of these crime scene photos, it is on Forensic Files, and I was able to watch one of their episodes to see some of the crime scene photos. So this is not from a source, but after my review, whether James did it or two or five other people did it, it seems like it was, in fact, a murder to hire or a murder plot. Nonetheless, if there was nothing stolen from the home and Dr. Wilson had no enemies, was known to be a great man in the community in the area, then why would somebody kill him if it wasn't for hire? And I read it says that when someone is convicted for a murder to hire, corroborative corroborative evidence does not have to be so strong or sufficient as to support a conviction. It must only connect the accused to the commission of the crime. Let me read that again. 
It says that when someone is convicted for a murder to hire, corroborative evidence does not have to be so strong or sufficient as to support a conviction. It must only connect the accused to the commission of the crime. Betty has tried to appeal the decision multiple times due to the recount of White and obviously the acquittal of her sister who was charged for the same exact things with the same exact crime, but she has been denied each time in the appeal. So the question is, as we wrap up this this episode, was Betty falsely convicted or did she really pay for someone to kill her husband before going on a one-on-one vacation to Santa Fe with her husband? Yeah, that's the question. And I honestly think that she definitely would have had to with all the signs and evidence pointing it. Yeah, the body was probably planted there in the hallway, probably dragged up the stairs too. Um, Who knows if he was shot or if he was brutally beat with the bat um because i don't know of course uh but if, from what it sounds like she definitely paid someone to whether it have been white which it's sounding like it was um and who knows if she actually contacted her sister that's probably why they were able to acquit her of it but who knows she might have been involved and been she might have just gotten lucky yeah it's just interesting to me that there like what would white gain from coming forward and telling this story. And there's just, the interesting thing to me is I did research and went through like the different sources. It just seems that he had so many details and that there was evidence along the way that it does seem like it was a murder to hire, that the evidence is pointing that way. But then at the same time, one of those holes in the case is the crime scene. Like if I can say anything, if he, if White did black out and beat you know, Dr. Wilson, as he says that he did with this random item, there would be blood spatter everywhere. It would be all over the walls, on the floor. I mean, it would be a more gruesome scene than what we see. It does make it seem like it was a bat or maybe even multiple people with their fist um, could have been beating him. Yeah. And then placed there. Yeah. But obviously it was, it's such a sad situation nonetheless, because at the end of the day, he did pass away for circumstances that were completely outside of his control, which is just so sad. And we are grateful that you listen to this podcast. We're so excited to be bringing you a podcast every week. Please download, like, share, and subscribe. And of course, leave us reviews. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Couple of Criminals. And like I said, we are just so grateful that you're here and you're listening to us. And we are excited to be starting this true crime podcast. Anton and I are very much lovers of true crime. And we are just so excited to be being able to be a part of each of your lives just for 30 to 45 minutes once a week. But again, like, follow, share, and subscribe and review if you can. And this is your couple of criminals signing off.